Well, it just begs the question, doesn't it? Is that your story? Is that your song? Such love that you want to praise him, the God of love, all day long. Well, children are about to uh, leave us, but uh, before they do, let's uh, pray for them and the Sunday school teachers and praying for those of us who remain in this room. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the young people that you've given to us in this church. We uh, love them dearly. They are precious to us. And Lord, we know that they are also precious to you. And we pray, Lord, as they go out to their Sunday school classes now, that you'll help them to listen to their message, the message of your love to them, as it's given by their Sunday school teachers. And we pray, Lord, for these youngsters, that they will come to know and love you as their own saviour. And Lord, it will be their story, it will be their song, that they'll be praising you for your love all day long. Lord, be with the Sunday school teachers. Help them in every way as they teach these youngsters. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with those of us who remain in this room. Do, Lord, help us all to listen. And Lord, help me as I speak your word. May it be in truth, in love, and in such a way that you will indeed transform our lives to be more like Christ's. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, youngsters, have a good time. For those with good memories and were with us a couple of years ago, you re may remember that we looked in our midweek Bible studies at the book of Ruth. And uh, you then might be asking the question, why are we going to look at it again uh, so soon? Well, I think one of the reasons we should do this is because it's a story about very ordinary people facing very ordinary events. But it's also a lovely tale, isn't it? And as someone has said, no poet in the world has written a more beautiful short story. No poet in the world has written such a beautiful short story. But in addition, I was reading through the book of Ruth in my own quiet times uh, a few weeks ago. And I was so captivated again by the, the story that I, I just felt compelled to share some of its treasures with you, but maybe from uh, different perspectives than might be normally the case. So this morning, as an introduction, as we walk through the book of Ruth, our heading is Love Actually, Love Actually. And if you want a foretaste of what's going to come through the, the year, and you can perhaps uh, start working out how this works out, we're going to then look at when the rubber hits the road, take a chance on me, stick or twist, 
And finally, towards right at the end of the, the year, stepping into my shoes. So again, if you're a bit of a loose end this, e this week, you can perhaps try and work out where on earth I'm going uh, with those uh, headings. But today, love actually. But before we make a start, not a story this time, but a poem. And as it's been Valentine's Day this week, it's about healthy love. It's about, it's corny, so, but there we are. Cabbage always has a heart. Green bin, beans string along. You're such a, a tomato. Will you please to me belong? You've been the apple of my eye. You know how much I care. So let us get together. We'd make a perfect pair. Now something's sure to turn up to prove you can't be beat. So if you care at, at all for me, let our two lips meet. Don't squash my hopes and dreams. Be my honey bear. Or tears will fill potatoes' eyes while sweet corn lends an ear. Our cauliflower your mobile and ask if your dreams are parsley mine. I'll say, I'll work and share my celery, so be my valentine. Well, it's amazing what you find at Valentine's Day, isn't it? But it, in a way, is sharing love. So what is the book of Ruth all about? How would you sum it up? Well, we could say it's about the, the main uh, characters. We have four of them. We meet Naomi, who underwent much hardship in famine and bereavement, but who eventually wins through to peace, security, and joy. And then there's Ruth the foreign girl from Moab who attached herself to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and to Naomi's God and received his blessing. And then we meet Boaz, Naomi's relative by marriage, who shows kindness to both Ruth and to Naomi, and who by marrying Ruth fits into God's purposes for the history of Israel. And then we meet the ancestor of King David, and more significantly, the ancestor of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. There are also many who believe that the uh, book of uh, Ruth was written to encourage the Israelites who had returned from exile in Babylon and had intermarried with foreign women it was an encouragement for them to return to an exclusive relationship with God. Or perhaps it was uh, written as an important genealogical link from the royal kings of Israel to Jesus. Perhaps it was written to give us a glimpse of the concept of redemption 
and God's provision of a kinsman redeemer for a lost and sinful world. Or perhaps it was written just as a story to encourage the virtues of love and faithfulness in family relationships. It is certainly a book which encourages God's people to look beyond their current circumstances and look for the hand of God in their lives, to see God's providences in the ordinariness and troubles of life, to encourage us to worship and thank Him for all His goodness to us. Thank you again, Rachel. This is our story. This is our song, praising our God all the day long. Well, we don't know the author's exact purpose. We're not told his name. But I think there is a strong case among many reasons why he may have written this book. It's because it's a love story. And four, for the price of one. We might be forgiven to rush to the end of the story and say it's all about Ruth and Boaz. And yes, there's their story. But what about in the chapter that we read, when we see the loving relationship of Ruth and Naomi? And through the whole book, the growing relationship that Ruth has with the God of Israel. And finally, at the close of the book, what about God's love story with his ancient people Israel? and for us today. The film Love actually would not be everyone's choice for viewing, which I totally understand. But its writer and director, Richard Curtis, manages to capture a fairly diverse and honest portrait of what love means in the 21st century. We see love in its many forms and distortions. There's quiet devotion and consuming self-love. There's longing grief and besotted romance. There's destructive lust and brave loyalty. But here in the book of Ruth, I believe that we have such a demonstration of love that the Hollywood script writers would die for it. So let's have a look and unpack this a little bit further. And let's see, first of all, Ruth's love for her mother-in-law. And here's a point, isn't it? Is there a lesson for us in how we get on with our mothers-in-law? In this first chapter... It seems that among the initial carnage of Naomi's life, it is a pagan woman from Moab who God uses to bring comfort and hope to Naomi. Twice in this chapter, Naomi comments that God has caused her to suffer in verses 13 and 20. And we're going to look at this in more detail next time. But we read that Ruth will not leave her. Rather, she clings to her. 
Just remind ourselves of verses 11 to 14. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And then Ruth gives one of the most stunning declarations of love that we'll ever read in any piece of literature. Verses 15 to 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Wow, what love. Extremely unlikely that we find such words penned in any Valentine's card. But what about our own family relationships? Can that be said of us? What about our own church family relationships? Could we say the same thing about each other? What about the witness that we give to those that are not part of this church? Do they see such love reflected in how we do things and what we say? had a great reminder of the witness this morning. Apparently, the singing group in their practice can be heard up the street. What a witness that will be every Sunday morning. But most importantly, let us ask the question, does such words sum up a personal relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ? Ruth's declaration of love for Naomi leaves her speechless. And yet, this declaration of love is more than Ruth's relationship with her mother-in-law. It's about her relationship with the God of Israel. If it had only been about Naomi, why would Ruth have committed to staying in Israel beyond Naomi's death and even be buried there? As a Paul Miller notes in his commentary, the form of Ruth's poem with God at the center, mirrors the shape 
of our heart. The form of Ruth's poem, with God at the center, mirrors the shape of her heart. In that culture, it was unthinkable to change your religion or your citizenship. You just didn't do it, but Ruth did it, had done both. And how and why, you ask, as she was a Moabitess? Well, we're not told. But we are told that it's likely that she had spent at least 10 years with this family. And we must assume, I think, with a great certainty that they had shared about the Lord's person and his dealings with his people Israel from the exodus of from the exodus from Egypt to the settlement of his people in the promised land of Canaan. And surely she would have witnessed firsthand the relationship of the family with the Lord. And yes, okay, it may not have been the best, but it nonetheless had witnessed to her. And what an encouragement and lesson that is for us here this morning our witness to our families, to our close friends, to those we work, uh, rub shoulders with day by day. God can speak through such a witness. Ruth had come to know the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This God was someone she could entrust her whole life to, so what about me this morning? And what about everyone in the room this morning? Is this God, Ruth's God, someone that you can have and will entrust your whole life to? So Ruth's love for her mother-in-law, Ruth's love for God, two of the four love stories in this book and we will unpack these a little bit later as we go through this series in the book of Ruth uh, this year. But there's one more. God's love story with a fallen and helpless world, which we will come to later on this morning. But as a bridge to God's love story with us, let us see that God's love runs throughout all this story in his amazing and gracious providences. So secondly, believing in God's providence. So what would have Ruth learnt from the family? Well, surely as we've seen that their God was in control of all things, especially evidenced in the gracious and generous dealings with his people. In short, his providence. And throughout this story, we see God's love and his providence not only to the Israelites, but to this family. Yes, it's hard at the beginning. And Naomi herself is much troubled by God's dealings with her. After all, she had endured famine. She had become a, a refugee. She had lost her husband and then lost both her sons. And that is tough in anyone's book. 
Yet as we shall see in the next sermon, she and the family along with the nation of Israel had brought these circumstances upon themselves through their disobedience with God and following, our, and following the gods of the surrounding nations. And yet in spite of these judgments from God, he takes this lonely and distraught woman and gives her a loving and faithful daughter-in-law. He returns her to her own country and hometown, where instead of famine, there are now two bountiful harvests. And he's not finished with her then. He then raises up a kinsman redeemer, a saviour, to safeguard the family name and property. And then comes the icing on the cake, a grandson who would turn out to have a wonderful pedigree. Now that is God's gracious providence and mercy to a child of God. And weaved into this story about Naomi, and I sometimes wonder whether it should be called the book of Naomi, is God's good providence to the nation of Israel too. In these days, most likely in the time of the uh, book of uh, Judges, we remember that the Israelites had time and time again been disobedient in following God wholeheartedly. And yet time and time again, God had poured out his promised judgments upon them, but then had raised up a deliverer uh, for them. Yes, they were a right mix of people, but nonetheless, he, God provided these people to deliver them from the hand of their oppressors. And this was undeserved providence. It was a wonderful demonstration of God's grace and mercy to an unbelieving people. I'm really reminded of these words we find in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God's loving providence to his enemies. But not only were we God's enemies, but as a result, we were the most hopeless and helpless of people. We were dead. We're getting to know Ephesians quite well now, aren't we? Reminder of these verses from chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly 
realms in Christ Jesus. And as the Israelite circumstances in this story reveal that they have been brought back to life from famine to harvest, so Naomi is also brought back to life. And not only so, but Ruth is brought from darkness into light. This is a wonderful story of loving providence by God from bookend to bookend. And in chapter 4, we come full circle in the book of Ruth. In verse 16, the word uh, translated child is literally uh, rushing ahead. Okay, I think I might have missed out one, but uh, never mind. In verse 16 we read, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Now I see I put two verses together. Child there is young lad. And if we go back into chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5 is up on the screen. This is the same word that is used describing the death of Naomi's two sons. Two lads. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, two young lads. They married Moabite women. And then at the end there, left without her two lads and her husband. And now in God's providence, Naomi has a young lad again. What a journey it's been for her. In fact, as Naomi holds her grandson we may find the well-wisher's comment a little strange. In verse 17 of chapter 4, Naomi has a son. Surely this is Ruth's son. But this is the whole point as the spotlight falls on Naomi once again, showing us how her situation has been completely reversed in God's graciousness to her. Once empty, now her lap is full of a bundle of living joy. Twice before in the story, her lap has been blessed with piles of harvest grain. And now God has not only provided the fruit of the land, but also the fruit of the womb. Her emptiness has been turned to fullness and this is a wonderful application for all who confess their sin against God and have sought his forgiveness through Christ's work at Calvary. As God's light and love and grace penetrates into the darkness of our lives, into lives that formerly were lived in darkness. This is God's loving providence through his son Jesus Christ. He promises to fill empty lives with the fullness of his Son. But there is even more as we rush forward to the end of the story. So finally, looking forward to the greatest love story. In chapter 2, we are introduced to Boaz, the family's kinsman, Redeemer. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He is not Stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. 
He is one of our guardian redeemers. And now as a result of Boaz falling in love with Ruth, which I believe is equal to his willingness to sacrifice much to redeem or buy back the lost family inheritance and all the rights attached to it. Not only is Naomi and the family line secure, but at breakneck speed, they are engaged, married and, married and conceived, giving birth to a baby boy. Now that's a love story, isn't it? But there is a bigger, better story, which is foreshadowed in the closing verses of chapter 4. First, we notice that only twice in the whole story does the narrator describe the Lord. Again, each one is important and bookends the story. The first occurred when we read the Lord ends the famine and provides food for his people in verse 6 of chapter 1. And the second here at the end, as the Lord enables Ruth to conceive. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. It is the sovereign work of the God of providence which surely has echoes in the supernatural birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord enables Mary to conceive and give birth to a son. And secondly, the comments of the well-wishers are very interesting here. Looking forward to verses 14 and 15 in uh, chapter 4, we read, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. What a comment, unknowingly, about the Lord Jesus, isn't it? He will become famous. He who is the creator and sustaining son of God brings life. And certainly, he is far, far better than numerous sons, evidenced in the Father's own blessing. And those of us who love him, our own witness. And lastly, the final sentence in the narrative before the genealogy says, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father, uh, father of Jesse, the father of David. And we need only go to Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew and Luke chapter 3 to see Jesus' genealogy extended not only to David, but also to Abraham and beyond Abraham, beyond Adam, to being the Son of God himself. Here is God's eternal love story, that while we were still sinners, he sent his Son into the world to save all who call upon him. He is the great Redeemer, paying sacrificially at Calvary the price for our rebellion against God, so that we might be given life and become part of his family with all its rights and blessings as children 
of God. This is God's love story for each and every one of us in this room this morning. How will we respond to it? So, we close. The book of Ruth is primarily God's love story for ordinary people living ordinary lives. It is his love story for a very ordinary bloke like me. And I pray that it is his story and would be for all of us in this room this morning. Rejoice, for he is better than any other. The book of Ruth, God's love story for ordinary people living ordinary lives. Amen.